All right. Hey, folks. So it is the February Q&A. And this is a special one because, as you probably know, I hit 5,000 subs on the weekend. I made a bit of a thank you post on the community tab. Hopefully you guys saw that. So I wanted to thank you all again for the amazing support and love and all that stuff. And I'm going to carry on doing this because I really enjoy it. And I think it's a good avenue to continue to get my word out there. I did thank a bunch of people in that post, mostly you guys, the viewers, you've been amazing. Like really, really have been amazing. I know everyone says that, but honestly, the, the, the interactions that I get with you guys, they're positive, they're intellectual and yeah, I mean, just overwhelming. A video I made last week got 5,000 views. And I know in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot, but it blew my mind. I mean, <laughs> I, I used to sit in front of a classroom of 30 students, and I was lucky if uh, 20 of them were paying attention. <laughs> so to get 5,000 views is, is uh, blows my mind. So I'm really happy that you guys are enjoying what I do, what I say, and I will carry on trying to help as many people as I can. With all that said, I am going to begin with the Q&A. I will timestamp all this. If you wanted to skip all that, you can skip straight to the good stuff. So we will start with this question from Harold Nilsson. He says, what's your opinion on squatting with belts for hypertrophy? He says, I personally don't use a belt. I'm around 75 kilos, squatting 130 for three sets of five, and my lower back feels a bit sore afterwards, but it goes away within a day. I would consider it cheating to use a belt. What do you think, Faz? Okay, good question. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it cheating. So when I was powerlifting, which I know is different from what you're talking about, but when I was powerlifting, I strategically used the belted and non-belted version of the squat in different phases of my training. So I would almost use the non-belted version of the squat to potentiate the belted version as I got closer to a meet. So I think there are definitely differences. For hypertrophy though, I honestly think Harold, you're probably missing out on a trick there. Now, let's just strip things right back and look at things logically. So what makes a good exercise? It's a simple question. What makes a good exercise? Okay, answers in the comments, right? In my opinion, what makes good exercise is the target muscle fatigues first. The target muscle in this case is the quads, the adductors, the glutes. And so the idea is that those three broad areas should tire out first in a squat. Now, the magic of the squat is that it also works the, the hips, it also works the lower back, and the back to a certain extent traps as well. But the main areas we're trying to work is the quads, the adductors, the glutes. I think you'll all agree with that. And that's what should be the limiting factor in a lift for hypertrophy. So if you are purposely avoiding the belt because you have this arbitrary standard to say it's cheating, you may be weakening how far you can take the squat for the areas which is intended to work on the most, like the quads, the glutes, the adductors. That would be a similar argument to saying, I don't use straps on deadlifts because I consider it cheating. You would be holding back your back training. I wouldn't do that. Like I wouldn't purposely avoid lifting straps 
on pull downs and rows, because then that would mean I can't take my back to failure. I'll take my forearms to failure, but I'm not taking the intended target of the exercise to failure or close to failure. So I'm limiting the effectiveness of that exercise. So I would say there's a very simple answer to that, Harold. I think you have to reevaluate why you believe this is cheating. And, and really, what is the relevance of your belief that this is cheating? Is there any relevance? I don't think there is. Who are you cheating? You're not cheating yourself. In fact, you may be cheating yourself by not wearing the belt. Because if not wearing the belt means you can't take the quads and the adductors and the glutes further into fatigue, well, then that's a problem, right? So um, we've got an issue there, don't we, Harold? I think you probably should wear a belt for hypertrophy. Yeah. If it helps you to take your quads and your adductors and your glutes closer to fatigue. Okay, next question. Luxi says, do you still recommend sets across like three by eight or three by five for your wizard program? Or would another option be to use the first set of an exercise as the progression indicator and use down sets or dynamic double progression, something like that. Okay, so it's a good question. It's a good question because I have gone back and forth on this over time and I think I am concrete in my, in my answer now. So when I first put out the wizard program, it was sets across. So I would insist you would do 888, for example, or 101010 or 121212. So by, by the nature of the way you perform the sets, the first two sets would be sub-maximal. Now, later on, I went back and forth on that, and I said it might be an idea to go with more of a every set to a certain RAR type of approach. So the reps might drop like 12, 9, 6, for example. So every set is just as hard as every other one. Now... <laughs> The problem with that approach is it will limit your overall volume when you get to the more advanced stages of the routine. So I was looking back and I actually did the wizard routine again for a good few months last year. And so I was putting it into practice. I was re-familiarizing myself with the way it was written originally by me from the work I did in 2006 to 2010. And I realized why I originally recommended sets across and it works better because when you get to the more advanced interpretations of the routine where it's four days, five days, maybe even six days, and it's much higher volumes across the week, it becomes a lot more risky to take every set closer and closer to failure. So for that reason, when I originally did the routine way back, well over a decade ago, there was no talk of RAR back then. RAR wasn't a thing. RPE wasn't a thing back then when I did this routine. And so what I was doing was I was doing sets across and that allowed me to hold back for the first couple of sets and really only approach failure on the final set of the exercise if I was doing three sets. And that formed a sort of a natural limiter in the intensity that I used, which is useful when you're doing the sheer amount of volume that I did on that routine. So if you are doing three days a week, I don't think it matters. Do what you like. If you're doing three days a week and you're only doing, say, nine sets per body part per week, it doesn't really matter. Uh, ultimately, if you are following the book, 
volume is a big thing and volume is a large driver of growth assuming in intensity reaches a certain threshold i would generally recommend the sets across ensuring that the first couple of sets are submaximal because if you are timing your rest periods and you are looking at increasing volume over time that tends to be the safer approach because it's a very easy way to implement rar it's a very easy way to avoid being burnt out by the sheer amount of volume that you're gonna have to do and controlled rest periods so i would recommend sets across okay so next one is from ronald suarez ronald asks the question and says does periodization models like block linear undulating conjugate have any use for hypertrophy training or are they more for performance athletes it's a good question now i think with this question the sort of standard reddit answer is that nothing matters we're at a point of bodybuilding education where nothing matters really to everyone so the standard person is so confused by bodybuilding evidence-based particularly bodybuilding that they tend to devolve everything into it doesn't matter it's like the classic calories in versus calories out and if somebody shares something that's worked for them if i say to you guys oh fasting was really good for me or if somebody says oh low carb was very good for them or somebody says oh plant-based was very good for them there's always going to be some evidence-based bro who probably coaches part-time you know will jump in the comments and go actually it's all about calories in versus calories out because to those people nothing matters because they have no practical experience they have no training experience no coaching experience they are just confused by the research and they just revert and devolve to this stance of nothing matters i think that's actually a very lazy way out it's an intellectually very lazy way out because it speaks to their lack of experience when things do matter because they matter within context things do matter yes it's calories in versus calories out but how you arrange those calories matters a lot yes hypertrophy training is relatively simple it's a case of making sure you're able to add weight or increase performance with correct form with moderate rep ranges with good amounts of volume sure but within that landscape there are certain things which practically make a difference i've coached for nine years i know certain things make a difference there are certain things which i play down which don't make much of a difference like for example exercise selection is something which i think generally doesn't matter now, why do I think exercise selection doesn't matter? Because over the course of a lifetime, you're going to do everything. This is why if I push back on anything, it's on things like exercise selection, which is really a pointless discussion. So the classic one is the one that came out recently was seated leg curls versus lying leg curls. Before you knew it, every single evidence based bro was like, yes, I've got my answer because they've got no experience. So they're like, yes, seated leg curls are the way forward. Seated leg curls are the way forward. Whereas for those of us like myself, we have practical experience. We understand that things do matter. And actually, and when it comes to exercise selection in the conversation between seated leg curls versus lying leg curls, it's a non-starter. The discussion doesn't matter because you're never only going to do one because at a certain point, variety helps. So yes, if you don't do lying leg curls, this training block, you're probably gonna do them six months from now or a few months from now. So the conversation is a non-starter. It doesn't matter. But having said that, Ronald, there are some things that do matter. So practically speaking, yes, periodization does help with hypertrophy training. 
for some factors. So for example, I use a block periodization with my clients. Why do I use block? I use it for psychology reasons because six weeks is a length of time that is enough to see some sort of tangible change in your strength, okay? Or if you're trying to drop body fat in your weight or trying to gain body weight and muscle in your scale weight. So I can use a six week period of time to load people, maybe do some kind of deload, some variation in load, and then look back on that six weeks and go, okay, did we progress? It's a psychology thing. It gives us checkpoints throughout the year where we can, my cat is wanting to make an entrance. <laughs> it gives us checkpoints throughout the year, regular consistent checkpoints where I can say to my client, okay, a long enough period of time has elapsed where we can try and figure out, okay, have we objectively improved or not? If we have, great. If not, we need to figure it out. So that way, myself and my clients are constantly evaluating our progress. So we are always moving forward. We're always figuring stuff out. We can't help but succeed because we are constantly evaluating. So there are things that matter. So yes, block periodization, I use it, it's important. Undulating periodization, one of my books, my eBooks, The Wizard, is written based on undulating periodization. So yes, it's very useful, very useful. It's useful to be able to allow you to get in the workload that you need to get in to enable you to push hypertrophy. If you want to do a full body routine, <laughs> if you want to do a full body routine, then heavy light medium in an undulating fashion is a good way of doing things, particularly if you want to add days, four days, five days, six days of full body training. So there are instances where these things do matter. Yes. When it comes to conjugate method that has some advantages, conjugate is generally something I would use with advanced powerlifting clients because it's a safer way of doing things. Conjugate doesn't really have application in bodybuilding because bodybuilding is conjugate training. That's the basis of bodybuilding. You are trying to get stronger on everything. The conjugate method is bodybuilding. So that's, again, it's a non-starter. Linear periodization, yep, that's probably going to be your most common form of progression when it comes to hypertrophy training. So yes, they all have uses, but it's a case of understanding the definitions and understanding what their application is. But yeah, they do. I think you have to just ensure you're not getting caught up in the evidence-based lack of experience bros who just say nothing matters. They typically don't speak from any kind of real life experience. Now, next question is from a client of mine, Rui Miguel da Silva Pinto. Rui's a great guy, really good dude. There's a lot of good work for charity and everything. Really, really positive guy. Rui says, if we have uncovered a strong correlation between grip strength and longevity, why do we see so little stuff done in terms of improving grip strength by so many health and fitness enthusiasts? It's a good question. So I looked into the research around this years ago when I first heard of the correlation between grip strength and longevity, because a few years ago, a lot of fitness enthusiasts were talking about it. And a lot of people were, it, there was this big push for grip strength in like social media designed for longevity because people had seen a study come out. Okay. Me being of sound mind and, and not a pleb, I looked into the research and I uncovered a problem with the interpretation of the research. So they were testing grip strength on elderly people, like really, really bedridden, sometimes diseased people who didn't have a great deal of mobility, couldn't really get up 
and do exercise. You couldn't put them through a bench squat and deadlift workout, for example. These guys were in an old folks home, very inactive, maybe wheelchair bound and couldn't do a great deal. So they were getting people to do what they can to test their strength. So the test that they used was grip strength because that's all these people could do. So the grip strength was then used as a correlation to whole body strength. But what the science interpreters did was they interpreted that as grip strength being the indicator for longevity. It wasn't. Grip strength was the was supposed to be used as the indicator for all over body strength because that's all they could test. They couldn't put a squat on Doris, who's 89 years old, because she's in a wheelchair. All you can test with people that age is their grip strength. You can't test a great deal else. You can't have an arm wrestle with these people. You, you have to test them with something which is objective, something they can do which is when they're sat down. So the only thing they could test them on was a hand gripper. So that's what they use. And they use that as a corollary for whole body strength. And then when they released the research, they said, look, this is what we found. We tested grip strength. And in the actual research, they said this was supposed to be used as a proxy for all over body strength. But did the science interpreters on Instagram look into the research? No, they didn't. They read the abstract, they read the headline and immediately jumped onto misinterpreting that research and saying everybody needs to do grip strength for longevity, which is moronic. And this brings me to a point, this is why most people should not read research. Most people shouldn't, leave it to the experts. Most fitness influencers who read the headlines and the abstracts, and this goes for all the usual idiots like your liver kings and your saladinos and all those guys who misinterpret research every single day and plaster it on YouTube, all those fakes, they shouldn't read research. You guys typically shouldn't read research. Leave that to people who are able to do that without bias. So that, yeah just don't it's too easy to misinterpret research and that was a great example of people misinterpreting research and then going on social media as influencers talking about yeah i found out the latest thing for longevity so no you've not you pleb like all you're doing is you're misleading your followers you're misleading your viewers that's not science-based so stop trying to be science-based just stop it stop it because you're not science-based you're a pleb who is misleading your followers. So that's what my advice to all of these influencers who talk about the latest study and get things wrong all the time. Just stop. Like when I see these things, people will ask me, people will be in my DMs and ask me things like, what do you think of like Andrew Huberman? Or what do you think of this guy or that guy? And it just, it makes me roll my eyes. It's like you've got the blind leading the blind. They don't know how to interpret research in that area. And they're talking to people who have no idea about this research at all and again who don't know how to interpret research and haven't got the time to do it it's the blind leading the blind and the actual scientists who are doing this work are getting a bad reputation because then we see stuff like this which is grip strength for longevity which is obviously nonsense and then science gets a bad rap i see this happen so many times people get so angry with science when what they should be getting angry out angry about and angry at is scientific interpreters just looking to stay relevant by saying controversial things. So 
first job for all of you guys, my listeners, stop listening to plebs. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is ignore research altogether. You don't need it. Listen to people who you believe are credible, like myself, and they will provide interpretation mostly based on their real life views. Okay, and if they don't provide information based on their real life views and they try and interpret research and get it wrong, I will point it out. Just like I pointed out issues with the seated leg curl stuff, I will point this stuff out. So yeah, just stop listening to plebs, basically. Next up is Thomas. Thomas is also a client of mine, really good guy. In your experience, is there some unique benefit to free weights for the purpose of muscle building or are machines enough? Any of the downsides of machine only training? I think it's a good question, by the way, a very good relevant question. Yeah, I think it's probably too simplistic a view because it's not the same for every body part and it's not the same as your age and as your training age differs. So I wouldn't look at it per machines versus barbells. I think it's the wrong question or machines versus dumbbells or free weights or whatever. I know it's a very popular question, but then it's probably the wrong question. The question is more nuanced than that. So here's the reason. It's more about exercises. So for example, barbell row, typically for most people, yeah, seal row, mm. um, barbell squat for Tom, yeah, for John. Mm. It's one of those questions which is highly individual to the exercise you're talking about and also the person you're talking about. And the time in their life that they are, okay? It's one of those questions which is a non-starter, again. It's too differential based on the exercise we're talking about. If you ask me to rank a range of quad exercises, I could do that. Typically from what I've seen, what has given the best results for the large majority of people, I could do that. I could give you my experience for the last decade about my training, my coaching people, and tell you what has worked the best for me and my clients as individual exercises. But if you're asking me barbells versus machines, I don't think the question is right because it's just not nuanced enough. It does change. So to give you some examples of that, the squat, the bench and the deadlift built a lot of muscle on me when I was powerlifting. They were tremendously effective exercises for me. I understand a lot of people have issues with those barbell lifts. They either aren't built to do those, they don't want to put the time into learning them, they think they're dangerous, for example. That doesn't mean they're bad lifts for everyone. It means they're bad lifts for them, potentially. So it's very individual. And then some areas do respond better to barbells. Some areas respond better to machines. Like, for example, biceps for me, typically not a free weight area. And for a lot of people, because by the time your entire body gets quite big and strong, trying to isolate your relatively smaller biceps with barbells and dumbbells, it's way too easy to get the rest of your body involved and move the weight by momentum. Even just a little bit of momentum it becomes more effective to really isolate the muscles with cables and machines and things like that. It's just one example. But yeah, I think the question probably needs more nuance. It's a good question, but I think it, it will probably be a whole video, maybe breaking down different exercises. So there was one more question here. 
what supplements do you take? Thoughts on L-citrulline? So I had the question about L-citrulline years ago from a client of mine. So I actually went out and bought some and I tested it myself. I think it's pretty pointless, to be honest. I don't think it's great. I think it has a psychological effect on people because it tends to bring out the vascularity. And that can make people feel good about themselves. Ooh. I'm vascular, look at me. But uh, in terms of supplements that I use, I don't use a great deal. I only supplement what's missing in my diet, vitamins and minerals. So that would be magnesium. I do like melatonin. I do like melatonin very much. What else? Vitamin D I supplement with because I don't get enough and I'm indoors quite a lot. I should get out more. It's my bad. What else? It's about it. It's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've sporadically supplemented with B12. I went through a, like a plant-based phase, but that didn't take. So really, if you watch my video, which I did link on the, in the comments, if you watch my video on how to know what supplementation to take, I show you a way of actually working out what you need to take. Now, when it comes to sports supplementations, the only one I recommend is creatine. Creatine is very effective. It's cheap. Just basic creatine monohydrate is great. There's nothing else which moves the needle, really. Or caffeine, I suppose you could say caffeine. Apart from that, I generally think supplementation is cope for guys who aren't confident enough in their own abilities or who are trying to plaster over poor diets and poor general life patterns of sleeping, eating, stress, all that stuff. Just get your life in order. That's the best thing you can spend your money on. If you want to spend money on something, spend your money on getting your life in order. Get good food. Ensure your sleep is good. If you have money left over, hire a coach. That will ultimately do a lot more for you than the latest supplement. Honestly, the amount of money some of you guys spend on supplements, you'd be a lot better off hiring a coach who would save you money and give you better training advice and set you up for life. That I offer coaching, it's a far better use of your money than spending on supplements. I'm a bigger believer in coaches. I've hired many coaches over the years, whether that's training coaches, whether it's business coaches, plenty. So it, that's a, education. Spending your money on education is going to let you far better gains than supplements. So you have to decide what you want. Are you after a cheap thrill or are you after tangible improvement over time and saving you time? I think if it's the latter and you're actually serious about your training, then hire a coach. Okay. Right, folks, I am going to call it there. I think that's the last one for today. So hope you all have a wonderful day and I'll see you in the next one. There'll be about three of these all together. So subscribe, comment, I'll speak to you in the next one.